We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. They had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. It's kind of cool, you know, again, David dies, his son Solomon is now reigning. This guy Hiram, the king of Tyre, doesn't that, isn't that cool right there? He always loved David. You know, something interesting, if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 11, I'll read that scripture for you. It says, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. I mean, wouldn't you like to have a friend that builds, builds you a house? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? <laughs> wow, if you just built me the house, he gave me all the material, you know, all the, the workers, and he built me a house. And so this guy loved David. He always loved David, we read in the Bible. And if I love you, tell you what, I'm going to love your kids, right? I mean, isn't that the way it usually works, right? And so that's the way it was with Hiram. He, he loved David. And so he, he loved Solomon. Solomon knew that. And so we read in verse 2, Then Solomon went to Hiram and he said, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet? But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay your wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. You know, historically, historically it's cool. You know, Solomon uh, has got the, he's got the cash, he's got the gold, he's got the silver, he's got the desire, he's got the destiny to build a temple, you know. And, uh, and so he prepares, you know, to build the temple, and he writes a letter to Hiram. You know, that interesting thing is when you study uh, Josephus and you look at some of the archaeological findings, you find this letter. It's still alive and well in archaeology. And so he's writing to, to, to this guy Hiram, and uh, he says in verse 3, you know, David, he couldn't build the house because of the wars that were, were fought against him on every side. You know, um, there was David, the man of war, and there's always wars going on. So he's always fighting. So it's hard to build a temple when you're in war, right? And not only that, when you read Second uh, Chronicles, and if you want to get a full picture, you've got to read Second Chronicles, First um, uh, Chronicles, uh, chapter 22, verse 8, First Chronicles 28, verse 3. Um, you find that the reason God didn't want David to build the temple is because David had killed a lot of people. David was the, the, the killer king, right? And so, you know, you're like, hey, he built the temple. I don't know about this, right? But Solomon, there wouldn't be that direct link like David. And so now there's no more war. It's a time of peace. 
And Solomon, his name means peace, is the one who's going to build the temple. You know, and it's cool. You guys, for those of us who are Christians, you have peace. You have peace with God. You know, sometimes the enemy tries to come in and he tries to rob you of that peace. I read in the book of Galatians about how some guys, they got all legalistic. And what they did was they unsettled the souls of the saints. You know, the, the devil would love to do nothing more than to take away your peace. Let me tell you something. If you have given your life to Christ, I want you to know that you're his child. And I, and I just pray that that peace that you've been given, it's peace with God. You're no longer his enemy. It's the peace of God because now you're saved. God's going to do a great work in your life. And you gotta, we've got to get our eyes off ourselves. You know, I'm not saying you go out and you just sin, you know. Uh, it was kind of funny. Yesterday I was over at Henry's house. And uh, you know how his little boy Isaac, some of you know him. Uh, you know, he was out there and he was kind of, you know, messing around. And so one of the people asked him, said, Isaac, what are you doing? He's all, I'm getting dirty. You know? <laughs> and I thought that was so funny because, you know, normally a kid would say, I'm playing in the dirt or whatever. I'm just, you know, having fun. No, he's all, I'm straight out. I'm getting dirty, you know. And, um, you know, I don't think that if, you, if you're really a Christian, you know, you're not going to be like, well, I'm sinning. You know, we stumble, we fall, we get dirty, but we repent. We get up and we, and we follow the Lord and we know we're his child. You know, I got bit. I think I got bit by a spider. I don't know if you guys can see it. You thought I was working out, huh? Uh, I've been eating my spinach, you know. And uh, <laughs> no, I got bit by a spider. I'm thinking I might be Spider-Man by the end of the night. That would be really cool. But, um, you know, I was thinking about that whole story about how, you know, you've been bit by God, so to speak. He's working in your life. That's why you're going through the trials that you're going through. You got to get your eyes on him. He's building you up. He's make, he wants to make you like him. So just surrender to his love. What are you doing with the peace that God's given to you? Are you even like living in that peace? And if you are, what are you doing with it? Solomon was living in the peace. And once that peace came into his life, he sees the opportunity to do what? To build the temple. Look what it says right there. Because of the wars which were fought, in verse 3, against him on every side, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. You see, when we read the Bible, what we find is that it's so cool. You know, all the enemies have been put under the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you ever got in a fight uh, hopefully you didn't. Some of you, you know, unfortunately you did because uh, you, uh, you were really bad, you know. But imagine like walking over them, you know, under your feet. That's what Jesus has done to his, to his enemies, to our foes, to your enemies. They're under his feet. See, in one sense, David is like Jesus and Solomon. In one sense, is like us. And we're experiencing this peace. The enemies are under his feet. Do you guys remember the whole story when Jesus walked on the water? You guys remember that? And the storm was raging. And, you know, the disciples are just, man, they think they're going to die. And things are going so crazy. You know, and, uh, and the Lord he just starts walking to them on water. You know, the, the storm had absolutely no impact on his life. 
in a negative fashion, nothing whatsoever. He was going to, to, to get to the destination. He was going to you know, get to the other side. Nothing would stop him because the enemies were under his feet. He was walking on them. And, and the same is true, you know, for us. You know, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to say, Master, don't you care? We're perishing. No, the enemies are under the feet of the Lord. And with that peace, now with the salvation that we have, you guys, you know, let's go forward. Let's build this temple, this place where God lives. Let's build this life. Let's build this congregation. Let's build this Christian for his name. That's what we're, you know, that's what we're called to do. Look at verse 4. Now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And so, he says, behold, I proposed to build a house for who? For the name of the Lord, my God. He says again there in verse 5, He shall build the house for, for my name. And that's what we're doing it for. It's not for us, it's for him. As we continue to, to build, and we're going to talk a little bit about trying to build the temple, but we're doing it for the, for the name of the Lord. And I pray that you guys would know that people are watching your life. You know, your family's watching your life. And we want to do this for his name. We want to make his name famous. We want people to love and reverence and honor and fear and call on the name of Jesus. We do it for his name, right? And so in verse 6, he talks about, you know, them cutting down cedars from Lebanon and, and his, your servants will be with your servants. I will pay your wages for you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. And so, like I said, you know, it's historic, but it's also, I believe, symbolic. And when you're building something for the Lord, now our, our, our uh, temple here, we, we got a lot of work still, huh? You know, we got cracks there and, you know, we got drywall to fix up and stuff. You know, and, uh, and I think there is something to that. We want to make it look nice, but, you know, we don't want to build a crystal cathedral, huh? You know, we don't want to, you know, millions of dollars on the building, you know, because this is not where God lives. God lives in you, right? And so as he's building this temple, I do know that he wants the best. He wants the best uh, carpenters. And we're going to see later the best gold. He wants the best for God. And, you know, not no pressure or anything, but, but in the Lord... You know, that's what we want as well. I, I want to be the best, you know, husband I can be. I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to be the best friend and, and just different, you know, roles and relationships. Even though I fail as a son and I fail, you know, I'm not going to give up. We want, we want the best. And so he's asking for the best. And I think it's cool that, you guys, we got to make sure we don't give to God the leftovers and so he writes this letter to the king of Tyre. And in verse 7, it says, So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly. And he said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. 
I don't know. I think Hiram was a believer, especially when you look at some of the other scriptures. Maybe David had led him to the Lord, which is so beautiful. You know, sometimes I hear people and, uh, I don't know, they get on their high holy horse and then I wonder, when was the last time they led somebody to the Lord? (laughs) You know, where they went fishing for men and through their love, they drew someone to Christ. You know, I, I think David drew this guy to Christ. He's a believer. This guy's so happy that, uh, that you know, the people have a wise ruler. And I, and I love what it says there in verse 7. He's given David a wise son over, over who? This great people. This great people. And I just, I just want you to know that's who you are. You know, and I got to be careful as a preacher, as a teacher, as a pastor, that I don't come off in some arrogant, self-righteous way, thinking that I'm better than you. I've heard, I've heard some, some guys teach like that, and it just, it, just, it just grieves me. No, you are God's people. You are the most precious commodity on planet Earth. I can't disrespect you. I mean, I want to teach the word, don't get me wrong, but I got to be careful that I know who I'm sharing with. These are God's kids, great people. He loves you. And so as he's sharing right here, you know, uh, Hiram responds with a letter in verse 8. I have considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire. Concerning the cedar and cypress logs, My servant shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there and then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And so... It's interesting to me, the word desire is found three times. In verse 8, you know, all you desire. And then we see the king of Tyre's desire in verse 9 and Solomon's desire in verse 10. And, you know, Lord, I really want to do this. Lord, I really want to do this for you, for your name. And it was so cool. Um, The Lord gave them the desire of their heart. You know, I, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but we're working like on, a, on a CD for the church. It's going to be so cool. I'm so excited about it. And it's, although it's been a lot of hard work, I would imagine uh, Steve, you know, it's a desire that God put inside of him, and God just saw that. And God said, I'm going to give you the, the desire that you have. And I wonder, like, what are your desires for God's glory? You know, God is good. There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 37 in verse 3. It's in 4, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, I try to tell my daughter this because she's single, you know, waiting for, for her husband. And some, a, lot of this, yeah, a lot of you single people here, if you could stand. No, I'm just joking. I won't do that to you, man. <laughs> You know, but uh, you just wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God is good. I tell you what, in my life, in my life, this, 
this guy right here that, man, I, I, I was so sure I was going to lose in life that I didn't even try. How could God bless me? You know, it's just him. You know, and you start seeking the Lord and you feed on his faithfulness and he gives you the, the desires of your heart. Psalm 21, verse 1 and 2, it says, uh, Psalm of David, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and have not withheld the request of his lips. God is good. As we see Solomon building his temple, it was something that he wanted to do for the name of the Lord. God was going to give him his desire according to and it says, all, all, all your desire. Beautiful thing. And so we read in verse 11 that Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. And so the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and the two of them made a treaty together. And then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon, two months at home. That would be kind of cool, huh? Wouldn't you say? You work one month, and then you're off for two months? I think Solomon's got a lot of wisdom there, man. <laughs> and he, you know, delegation, everything's organized. Uh, verse uh, 14, Adonaram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. Now, these were foreigners that were actually put to work. We read that later in Second Chronicles chapter 2. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, notice costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. You know, God gave Solomon wisdom. Uh, and, and, you know, it's so cool. You know, I don't know about you, but myself growing up, I didn't have wisdom. I didn't have common sense. I just, I didn't have, you know, smarts. Nothing, nothing until I became a Christian. And even now, I still... I still fall short. But James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If you lack wisdom, you can pray. And God will show you exactly what to do. God promises. God promises to give you wisdom. And those decisions that you need to make and the things that are going on and whatever it is that you aspire to do for your family, God will give you wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom and just it's so cool the way that just everything was organized. Imagine, you know, you know, overseeing, you know, 153,300 men here, 30,000 men there. I mean, you do need a lot of wisdom, right? And what we find is that in Second Chronicles 2, 17 through 18, that the Lord had provided the help that Solomon would need. And, uh, and it's so cool. 
and I don't know if this is true, you know, but, but history tells us, not in the Bible, but history tells us that during the seven years it took to build the temple, not a single workman died who was employed about it, nor even did a single one fall sick. And as the workmen were sound and robust from first to last, so the perfection of their tools remained unimpaired until the building stood complete. Thus, the work suffered no sort of interruption. And there are some really fascinating historical supplements. Again, not the Bible, but real interesting to see the way the Lord, you know, he had his hand on this. Notice again there in verse 17, that the king commanded them to quarry large stones and costly stones and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. Literally in the Hebrew, it speaks of quality stones. And what are these stones for? They're for the, the foundation of the temple. No one's going to see it. You know, and uh, you know, when, you, when you read that, what you find is that God is teaching us a fundamental lesson that we need to lay a good foundation. For us as Christians, we're reminded that the hidden things are the key for success in the visible things. You know, our prayer life, our heart, to obey, our conduct at home. You know, those types of things, those hidden things. They're the key to the visible things. Not only that, you know, what's the foundation of your life? Or maybe I should put it this way. Who's the foundation of your life? Is Jesus the foundation of your life? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I pray truly that Jesus would be the foundation of your life. The Bible says he's the chief cornerstone, right? We read that over and over and over again. And so we move on to chapter 6, and we read in verse 1, It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20, and its height 30 cubits. And you guys know what a cubit is, right? That's uh, about 18 inches. And so it's about a foot and a half. And so we read in verse 3 that the vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And he made for the house windows with beveled frames against the wall of the temple. He built chambers all around against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around it. The lowest chamber was five cubits wide. The middle was six cubits wide and the third was seven cubits wide for he made narrow ledges across the outside, around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone, finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. The doorway for the middle of the story was on the right side of the temple, and they went up by stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. And so he built the temple and finished it, 
And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar, and he built side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. And so it's 480 years after the Exodus. Now, how long were they in the wilderness? Do you guys know? 40 years, right? And uh, there were 360 years when you count Joshua and Judges. And then there was 40 years for the reign of Saul and then 40 years for the reign of David. And so four years later, boom, Solomon starts to build this temple. And it's 90 feet long. And so, you know, if you, in case you're wondering, because some of the guys, you're like, okay, I know what 90 feet is. Some of the girls, you don't know huh, what 90 feet is. So it's about as long as this uh, building right here, believe it or not. And 90 feet is, is not that long because, you know, we're thinking huge, right? So it's 90 feet long. It's 30 feet. That's about to that from that pillar to the wall. So it's not, it's not really wide, but it is 45 feet high. Okay, so that's like a telephone pole. So it's, 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 a, tr it's a trip when you see how high it is, right? Uh, it has recessed windows throughout the temple. And then it has rooms built all around the walls on that side, on the back side, and on that side. Three level rooms. Each room is seven and a half feet high. And then story one, seven and a half feet high. Story two, seven and a half feet high. Story three. Uh, you had people living there, you had storage, things like that, right? And uh, then you had this, uh, you know, entrance. Of course, it wasn't there. And all the stones were pre-finished at the quarry. Now, that would be hard to do. I mean, this is not an easy thing, you know, because they didn't want any, any metal, any work to be done there at the temple. And, and in one sense, because that was something the Lord had commanded back in the book of Deuteronomy, it was, it was almost symbolic of saying, this is not the work of men. It's the work of God. You know, God would use men, but the help of man, apart from God, is useless. See, God's working in your life, and you may give credit to him or to her or to whatever it is that, you know, you might think, oh, glory to them. No, you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God is working on you, and he's building a beautiful temple. And he just wants to, he wants to live in you, you know. He wants to, you know, when you read that little book at my heart, Christ's home, he just wants to, to manifest himself to the world through your life. You know, I, I think we have um, some pictures of the temple um, the other one, there's another one that shows the outside. Uh, not that one. Not that one. There's a one that shows the outside. Keep going. If you, I think it's there, Henry. I'm pretty sure put it there. Not that one. Where's Henry? Oh, oh, it's not there. Oh, okay. All right, uh, let's go back then to the one that shows more. Yeah, okay, can you guys see the, the three levels on the left side? One, two, three. And then you see uh, the way that it's so high, it's 45 feet high. We're going to see it's all covered in gold. It's all covered in gold. And you're going to see even deeper in there you have the, the most holy place. And so that's kind of a, a visual of, of what it looked like. Again, you've got the, the temple there in the, in the middle, 
And uh, we'll leave that picture up there because we'll probably reference it a little bit later. But this is, this is you know, where, where God would dwell. And uh, when, we, when we study the scriptures, we find now that you, you are the temple. And so we read in verse 11, notice as, as he finished this temple, it says in verse 11, Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. Now, you know, that's an interesting uh, promise. It's an interesting covenant. Um, and, and for us, you guys got to know this, that salvation is a free gift. It's God's grace. When you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ, you're a child of God. But now, you know, as far as like the work you're going to do for him and the work that he's going to do through your life, or even the way that he's going to bless the people around you, all of that is dependent upon us surrendering to his love. You know, if God says jump, uh, you know, we say how high. We don't say why. We do whatever he tells us to do. Real simple things, you know. And that's what he says right there. If, and you can circle that word in, in verse 12. If, you know, you, you walk. Not just talking. Remember I, guys, I told you guys before, we're not supposed to be... Uh, uh, talkie-talkies, we're supposed to be walkie-talkies, right? <laughs> it's going to be our life. We're walking in these statutes. We're, we're executing, man. We're executing, right, his orders, his judgments. We're keeping his commandments. We're walking in them. Then God says, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do with your life. And I'm going to do through your life what I made for you to do. And it's just so beautiful. You know, it's not like we, we always have to, you know, be perfect, but we got to be proper. And notice again in verse 13 how it would affect the people. You know, and when I read that, that that's what impacts me the most. You know, that my life has to be right for my wife. That my life has to be right for my kids. That my life has to be right for you, for his people. Because what God said to the leader, he said to the leader, Solomon, you're the leader. You're the leader. And you, if you stay on target, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a work with, with these people. And it's a heavy responsibility that we have as, as leaders, as moms, as dads. You know, if it's just me, you know, that's a different story, you know. But no one lives to himself. You know, we're impacting lives all the time. And so what he's saying right there to Solomon is if, you're, if you stay, stay on track, you walk it, man, you live it, you execute, then I'm going to bless the people. And look at how he's going to bless them. I will dwell. I will dwell among the children of Israel. I'll never forsake them. I mean, that's what we want more than anything else for our kids, for the congregation, that God just dwells 
with you, that you live in him and that personal relationship. Unfortunately, what we find when we study Israel and even Solomon himself is they turned away from the Lord. They turned away and God had to severely discipline the people because they were led astray. And so for us leaders, we have to take this to heart. And so we read in verse 14 that Solomon built the temple and finished it. And he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards uh, from the floor of the temple to the ceiling. He paneled the inside with wood and he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built the 20 cubit room at the rear of the temple from floor to ceiling with cedar boards. He built it inside as the inner sanctuary of the most holy place. And in front of it, the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it. Notice this. Talk about some nice paint with pure gold, man. And overlaid the altar of cedar. And so Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Now there's so much here, and I don't want to go over tonight, but um, you know, just real quick, you know, wood, wood, wood is symbolic of the cross, right? Gold, gold is symbolic of the deity, of God himself. And there you see Jesus on the cross. You know, we've got to remember that. You know, and then you see these buds and you see these flowers. Did you guys know that flowers are really fruit? Did you guys know that? And you can eat flowers? Have you ever ate a flower? There's some edible flowers. You go to the produce department and you ask them for it. You know, and, and just all these things, these palm trees, symbolic also of fruit, it's all just a beautiful display of the way that God works in the Christian life. You know, mark it right here. And real quick, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, because you guys, you got to know you're, you're, you're building. You're building, right? Verse 9, it says, We are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's what? Building, okay? According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. See, it's still going on. And that's why, you know, we're reading the Old Testament, and since it's historic, but it's also symbolic. And you guys, you know, we're building. We're building. Notice what it says right here. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with what? 
Gold, ooh, there it is. Silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles this temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, Paul says, I started the church. I laid the foundation. Apollos, you know, he watered. He came after me and he followed up. And others are building, right? So the context here in 1 Corinthians 3 is the congregation. The congregational church. And we're building it up. And he says, as we're building it, Let's make sure we're building it with gold. Let's make sure we're building it with the best. Let's make sure we're building it with the best motives. You know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, I got to say this. Because um, later in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I commend you to the word of God, which is able to build you up. And then over in the book of Jude, he says, build yourselves up. It's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, building the child of God. You know what will tear people down is, is, is lies. And, and, and you, know, you, you start putting people down. Those derogatory statements, those mean things that you might say to your kids or you might say to your, your spouse. And the Bible says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth except for that which is necessary for edification. You want to be building people up, right? We just have to be careful with all these things as we're sharing the truth, as we're teaching God's word. We want to make sure that we do it with a heart that is right in God's sight. Here we see that they're, they're building, and, and Paul says, as you're building... <laughs> You know, make sure that, that you build that you build with gold, you guys. It's so important. Back in First uh, Kings chapter six, we read in verse twenty three, inside the inner sanctuary he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the cherub was five cubits, and the other wing of the cherub five cubits, ten cubits from the tip of one king uh, wing to the tip of the other. And the other cherub was ten cubits. Both cherubim were of the same size and shape. The height of one cherub was ten cubits. So that's 15 feet high, right? And so was the other cherub. And then he set the cherubim inside the inner room. And they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of the one touched one wall. And the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. And their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. Also, he overlaid the cherubim with, with gold. And so, I don't know if you guys can see this right here, but he's talking now about the, uh, the inner sanctuary. Here, I have one of these laser beams, so I won't, I won't point it at you. Let's see here. See that right there? Now, those are kind of funky-looking cherubim, and you can probably barely see them from where you are. But um, that right there is a cherubim on that side, a cherubim on this side, and then right in the middle was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of God's throne. God's throne. And only once a year would the priests go into that place. It was called the Most Holy Place, 
with the blood of the sacrifice only once a year and you sprinkle it right there on the, 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 the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It was called the mercy seat. And God said, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Now, in those days, the priest could only go once a year. Only the priest. Now, we can go into that, that place, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, anytime. Because of the blood of Jesus. Because back then, they were offering the blood of animals and sacrifices. It didn't wash you completely. But now, do you realize, Christian... Do you realize, Christian, those of you who are Christians, do you realize that the blood of Jesus washes away all your sins, past, present, future? And so you can now, we can now enter in. And this is so cool. So cool. You're like, well, what's up with the angels? You know, what's that all about? Well, when you guys read the Bible, you find the angels are always around the throne, huh? They're always around the throne. And not only that, there's a real interesting passage in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Now, really, you know, the temple was something that maybe David had kind of laid out for Solomon, or maybe Solomon kind of laid out. It wasn't like the tabernacle. The tabernacle was something given from heaven to Moses. But when you look at the tabernacle, um, this is say this is the Ark of the Covenant. You had one angel on this side and one angel on that side. And the angels were actually like this. And what they were doing was they were, they were, 1 Peter 1.12 says they were, they were trying to look into this thing called grace. See, the, the angels, they, they never experienced grace. They don't know what grace is. When they went out of line, one third of them followed Satan, boom, it was judgment. But they trip out on what God did, how God, God died on a cross. And how we, you know, we fail, and I'm not making light of that, but we've been shown grace. We're washed in the blood. And so the angels, when they look at it, they're like, whoa. You know, Stephen Chris Chapman, you guys, you like him, right? Stephen Chris Chapman, he's probably one of your favorites, I would imagine. But he's got a really cool song. It's called, uh, What Angels Wish. And he said, you know, I wasn't there uh, when God created everything. And Stephen Chris Chapman says, I wasn't there at the flood. Uh, I didn't see a lot of things. And maybe one day I'll be able to have a conversation with an angel. And you can tell me, you know, what those stories were like. And we'll have a conversation with an angel. Basically says, of course, I'm paraphrasing him, right? And he says, and I will tell you a story of grace. And they're going to trap. The angels, the Bible says they try to look into this. They're like, wow, this is amazing. It's amazing. And so there they are in verse 29. He carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and outer sanctuaries with carved figures of cherubim, palm trees, open flowers, and the floor of the temple, even the floor he overlaid with gold, both the inner and outer sanctuaries. I mean, just every, every area was just, man, beautiful. 
The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold, and he spread gold on the cherubim, on the palm trees. So for the door of the sanctuary, he also made doorposts of olive wood, one-fourth of the wall. And a lot of people will tell you that olive... The olive tree is symbolic of prayer. A lot of really, really cool things when you try to look at this temple right here. And the two doors were of cypress wood. Two panels comprised one folding door. Two panels comprised the other folding door. Then he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them. Overlaid them with gold evenly on the carved work. And he built the inner court with three rows of hewn stone and a row of cedar beams. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, and in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. And so he was seven years in building it. And you look at that, and you know, that's a, that's um there's an aggressive, cooperation that needs to take place in our lives with the work that God wants to do. I encourage you, don't be a, a lazy Christian, okay? Uh, don't have a sloppy agape. God died for you. Solomon, right here, he just, he didn't cut any corners. He built a beautiful temple for the name of God. And in, in many ways, you know, we're, we're doing that. We, we got to aggressively cooperate with God so that now when people would look at your life, and I, and I have friends, some of my friends, I, I mean, you know, and a lot of you here, don't get me wrong, you guys are all cool, okay? Especially the ones that, that bring me enchiladas and stuff. But, um, you know, some people, I just look at them, and I don't feel like they're judging me. I don't feel like a negativity towards them. I just feel so, so, um, I don't know, blessed by their love, by the way that they are like Jesus to me. And, I, and I, to me, I think to myself, wow, how beautiful this person is. You know, and we... We need to aspire. We need to aspire to, to be that way. We really do. You know, I know life is crazy. How many of you here are busy? Just out of curiosity. You're all busy, right? Are you guys living life in the fast lane? Huh? I know we are. A lot of times we are. You know, let me close with one, one last story and, uh, and a prayer request, actually. I don't know if you guys heard uh, last week there was a, a death right here on, uh, on Santa Anita. And there was a young man, 18 years old, Irvin Hernandez. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the thing that happened with him is what happens a lot of times. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't high. He was just driving too fast. Uh, the, the, the officer, Rick George, the guy that was uh, investigating it, he said, based on the skid marks, that he was probably traveling over a hundred miles an hour on Santa Anita, okay? And so he's traveling around that corner right there and he's just, you know, a hundred miles an hour. I don't know, maybe he's mad at his girlfriend. I'm not sure why he would do that, but, you know, he hits the curb and then he bounces. He just skids this way, hits a telephone pole, a tree, 
and the car, you know, just, it lands on the other tree, and, uh, and he dies. And so I was talking to uh, Rick George, and he was just telling me that, that, and I was also talking to another officer, Joe Garcia, he was just saying, you know, that's what happens, they just, they're just going too fast. Real simple, just going too fast. And so we had to go and, uh, and let the family know they died. They died. One of the toughest things that you could ever do. You know? And so pray for that family. You know, when they see the police officers coming in and knocking at the door, they're, 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 they're not, it's not too bad. They just think, oh, we're busted. Okay, that's what they think, right? But then when they see the chaplain, then they introduce the chaplain. You can see all the air comes out. Why? Why? It's going too fast. And I, I would venture to say that a lot of us here, we're just going too fast. We're going too fast in life. God wants to build a temple. God wants to do a great work. He's so awesome. Slow down. Slow down, ask God, you know, for the speed limit. Ask God for the divine details. Ask God for the love. Just the marching orders, whatever it is that, that you are responsible to do, you know. And, and as you do, you watch. Man, he's going to build, build a beautiful work in and through your life. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, another day, Lord. And I know there's a lot here, Lord, looking at... Solomon We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.